I know I can get really anxious when I have a lot of things going on in my head, ideas that I want to do, things I want to implement. And the best way to do it is to do a brain dump. A brain dump is just simply getting everything that's in your head out on paper. And then from there, you can prioritize by importance, what needs to get done first. And you keep that brain dump until everything is checked off. That has really, really helped me to stay organized and implementing the things that I want to do. You're listening to Untamed, a podcast dedicated to empowering you, the lash artist, while providing insights on how to achieve success that is as individual and unique as you are. Each episode, me, Cheryl, and me, Anne-Marie, share our best information openly, without reservation. We discuss challenges, best practices, and what the future holds for the lash industry. So grab a snack and your comfiest sweater, and get ready to geek out with your new lash BFFs. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe! Hey, Lash friends, and welcome back to the Untamed Podcast. This is Anne-Marie, and this episode is all about the journey of female entrepreneurship through the eyes of Roxy. Now, Roxy has been on our podcast before, so she is returning for another episode. And in the last episode, we talked about diversity and inclusivity in the Lash School world. Roxy is doing amazing things and being super innovative in the way that she has built her Lash University in the state of Texas. So without further ado, welcome back to the podcast, Roxy. Hey, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for inviting me on and giving me this space to come on here and talk to your community. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm really excited too. Last time we got to learn a lot about why you built the school and more about the goals and the plans and the ambitions for it and what sets DFW Lash University apart. But I'm really excited today because we're going to dive into more about you, the founder of DFW Lash University. And I think this is going to be a really good episode because you have so much knowledge and insight to share. And the journey of being an entrepreneur is really hard. And there are other challenges that come with it by being a female entrepreneur. Wouldn't you say? Yes. No, I would definitely agree. So to start things off, can you tell our listeners more about you and your journey? Yes. So my name is Roxy. I am a passionate entrepreneur from Dallas. I was born in California, but I'm pretty much from Dallas. (laughs) And I founded a DLU in 2020. But before that, I was a professional lash artist for almost four years. I fell in love with how the lash industry inspired me to build a business that could impact people like myself. So my mission for DLU is to create the highest quality online education experience for students and really expose the limitless possibilities and potential for this industry. I am also a proud mother, a fashion enthusiast, and an advocate for women of color in all things diversity and community. That is so beautiful, Roxy. Oh. I cannot believe that you were lashing for four years before you opened a university. Can we talk about that? Yes. Yes, of course. I mean, I really fell in love with the industry as soon as I found out. I actually got started by doing like the little cluster lashes, like what they do at the nail salon. And that's how I got started in the industry. And from there, people kept asking me when I was going to learn how to do lash extensions. And it was kind of like the people that I was serving that who really pushed me and encouraged me to go and do lashes. So I kind of did the individual thing for about maybe two months. 
And they were always asking me, when are you going to learn how to do extensions? I had never heard about it, never had gotten it done. And because of their request, I looked into it more and I took a certification training and then I went to school to get my license. A lot of people don't know here in Texas, there is a specialty license just for lashes. Unlike other states that make you do the esthetician and the cosmetology program, there is a specific lash license here in Texas that just for 320 hours covers all things lashes. And I went and got that. And because I had already had a clientele with doing the cluster lashes, I pretty much already had a clientele, people that I could practice on, people that would just support my business as I was learning. And I just hit the ground running. Before I even enrolled in school, I was already practicing taking clients and I had already rented a booth, even though I wasn't licensed. And I just went for it like at 110%. I totally went for it and I fell in love. And I've been so passionately in love with lash industry ever since I get my lashes done. And I just understand how much they make me feel more beautiful and more put together in the mornings. And I love being able to help people get into the industry so that they can help other women feel the same way. This is wonderful. And something that I share a similar passion about is just helping others kind of curate this beautiful success for themselves. And then also passing on that passion of lashing to those customers. Like that's the best part of being a lash artist is when that client is truly feeling confident and beautiful and so empowered from something that might only be a 10 millimeter lash extension. I mean, me, myself, you know, I have lashes on right now. Hello, who am I? And I feel like a whole different person. So these lashes are really powerful, not just for our clients, but for ourselves and where we can go in our businesses too. So I'm happy that you looked and you found that gap in the industry to know that there was room for this quality education and that you wanted to bring that and make it accessible by having it online, by having quality videos that could be replayed and by everything else that you offer within your school. I think it's really admirable. Thank you. You're welcome. I think one word that really describes you is ambitious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are ambitious. You know that you have goals and you go for them. And you're not only ambitious for your own goals, but you mentioned something that I want to explore more is kind of the ambition of seeing others and what they're wanting to achieve in their life. So how does that sense of purpose by wanting to help others achieve great things keep you going? Really just knowing that I'm serving a community, like the impact keeps me going, the inspiration, being that inspiration, that role model keeps me going. There's like really not weeks that go by that I don't hear from somebody or I'm out and somebody tells me like, oh, I was listening to your podcast or I heard you on an interview or I've been following you. I was just at the school on Monday and uh, talking to the students. They were like, "We've I followed the page for months before I finally took that leap to join. And I'm so glad that I did. And so hearing things like that is what really keeps me going. And really pushes me because I do want to make a change in the industry. I do want to be a pioneer, especially for Black women of color in this industry and just setting that standard of we can be professional, we can level up, we can have employees and that type of stuff and create a luxury brand 
because I do feel like when people think of African-American women and especially in the lash industry, they think of, you know, low prices, big lashes, ghetto lashes, that type of stuff. And that's really not what we all stand for. So that is the things that really keep me going. This seems like something that can be pretty hard to combat. Like, how do you how do you go against that? How are you like really pushing forward to make those changes? Because I can't imagine that's easy. Yeah, just be the change that I want to see. We have really great core values in my business. And even before I started the school, I always had really good customer service. I did what I said I was going to do. I was always on time, very consistent. And that just came along with the reputation that I've built in this industry. And that followed along all the way to me having the school. So being able to be, when I show my face or put my face or co-sign somebody, people trust that I vetted them, that, you know, that it is something legit and real. And that just comes with building your reputation, but that's something that you have to strive for. Yeah, I just would just be the change that I want to see. So I show up in my authentic self. I do what I say I'm going to do. I like to communicate directly and I like to follow through with the things that I say I'm going to do. I think that's the most important part is not over-promising and under-delivering. Yes. Yeah. So how do you take all these big ideas, all this ambition that you have and make sure that you aren't doing that, like over-promising too much and under-delivering? How do you keep that balance where now you're not running yourself like completely like emptying your cup? Like, or does that happen? Like, yeah. Talk to me about it. I can't even get my sentence out. Oh, no. It, it definitely just goes back to your expectations and what you're trying to get done and prioritizing. It really helps to prioritize, you know, and try not, like you said, to overpromise and underdeliver. I I think that at the beginning of my career, when I was opening up the school, because we're a new school, we know I know I didn't didn't have things as organized as we are now. I was trying to overcompensate and overdeliver or overpromise for things that the business was, you know, lacking in, like structure you know, those type of things when it came to like the outline and well, the plans for how to get students through our curriculum. I think what has worked best for me is just putting in boundaries in place, like knowing that I can't do it all by myself. And if I do decide to hire someone to do it, knowing that their work or their pace is not going to be the same as mine and being okay with that. But still at the same time, like, giving them the structure that they need to grow within the position so that they can be successful so that we can one day get to that end goal of everybody working at the same pace. But yeah, definitely setting boundaries goes hand in hand when it comes to just like not overextending yourself, especially in this type of business. People think that, oh, well, you have a school. It's just like doing two-day trainings. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually like doing one day, two day trainings every day of the week. Like, can you imagine <laughs> having to do and show up every single day for your students for 320 hours? It's not the same. And it's definitely not as profitable as people may think when they think of, oh, I can just do certification trainings or I want to open a school to make lots of money. And they don't understand the cost, like having to be responsible for that person for 320 hours or however long the, the curriculum is and having to show up pay, or pay somebody else to show up 
And then the overhead, the costs, the materials, it's way different. It's not as profitable as just having to show up for a one to two, three day, four day, five day certification training. So... Oh, that's a really good point. There's a few things I want to dive into here. So first off, it's expensive to run a school. You mentioned that. Oh, yes. I think it's really easy. And I've been guilty of this to just think about how much an educator is charging or a school is charging and think about how many students they might take and just be like, wow, that's a lot of money coming in. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of expenses to running a school. So with that said, what is your best advice for anyone who's interested in opening their own school or even getting into training as far as like just knowing if it's a good fit and knowing what they're going to get into so they don't have that financial surprise when they're just like six months into it? Yeah, definitely knowing your costs, knowing how much you're going to pay, knowing how many employees you need to have will all help you figure out like where to price yourself, how much money you're going to be making and that type of stuff. But when it comes to like specifically opening up a school, it it definitely takes like a team of four to six or a team of six to eight, whether that be somebody in admissions, instructors, operations person. So you definitely need to make sure that all the money that you're making and just does not go into your pocket. I've spent since we've opened probably close to like $250,000 in just payroll in the last two years, just, you know, making sure that the team, I have adequate instructors and that type of stuff. So the money that you're making, it all does not go to you. You'll be happy if you even break even or make 20%, 30% profit, especially in the first couple of years, because you do have so many mistakes that cost you a lot of money. And then specifically speaking to those people that want to become trainers, you know, you're competing with your hourly, how much you can make behind the lash bed. So definitely starting from there. So you know how much to charge for your time because spending one to two, three days with one person to teach them how to do lashes, it's a lot of energy and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of out of you, the pre-planning, the day of, the day after recovering. And then you are responsible for that person as they go on in their career, they can reach back out to you all those type of things. So just know how much responsibility it is to take on those things. Just having those expectations of everything's not going to be perfect. I would definitely say that it goes a long way to have structure and to be a good planner. And then, but aside from that, you have to be good at implementing and actually putting action behind the things that you've set in place. So that would definitely be my my advice to anyone who is wanting to open up a school or be a lash trainer. Really, really good advice. I think there's a lot of competition too. It doesn't mean it's oversaturated necessarily, but finding your space is going to be really important. And I think that for you, DLU found the sense of space with being online, being comprehensive and having so much support for the students. And you also have a big focus on community. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're promoting that sense of community at DLU? Yeah. So I love creating a sense of community. That's really what I'm about. Community over competition. I've always been like that. And right now what we're trying to do is collaborate within the community 
for people who are in the industry. So I know that we do one thing very well, which is help students get their eyelash extension specialty license. That is what our curriculum is for. That's what we're about. And I believe in just being able to do that one thing very, very well. That's what my business model is set up. But in an effort to create community, we are putting together kind of like a magazine, a resource guide for our alumni students for them to be able to look through and find brands, trainers, mentors, anybody that's in the industry that wants to be listed in our free resource guide can reach out to us. And this is just a way for us to be able to say that we have vetted this person, we believe in this person, what they do is correct, and be able to filter our students to directly to them so they can get the help that they need. Also, we love to collaborate by doing lives, sharing people's journeys on how they got started in the industry. I think it can be very inspirational to people because a lot of our audience and our student body are people who are beginners, who are new lash artists, baby lash artists. And they really need that inspiration to know like what the journey is going to be, what the journey might look like, um, how far somebody has come, maybe if that person has done a career change or they're in products and all that type of stuff. So that is another way we like to create community because I just feel like, you know, we do one thing well, but our students are still looking to us as they need continued education. They always ask, well, where can I learn how to do hybrid lashes? Where can I do learn how to do volume? What products do you recommend? That type of stuff. And so in an effort to automate and be able to answer all their questions, we want to create a guide that will live in their alumni classroom, which they have access to forever. And they can get the, we can be that middleman to connect them to the people in the industry that feel that can fulfill those needs. I have a side note question real quick for you. If a student or someone is interested in taking your course, but they live outside the state of Texas, would they still be able to, even though their state may not have a lash specialty license, could they still take it because it's good quality education or not yet? They definitely can still take it. TDLR allows for us to enroll anybody into the program, but the license will only be valid here in Texas. They can actually take both exams from wherever they are because they do have both tests available online. And we actually have a lot of students who they're getting married, their partner's moving, or their partner's relocating to Texas and they live in another state and they already do lashes, but they don't have a license where they are and they want to enroll in our online program to go ahead and jumpstart the process of getting their license so that when they move here, they can have a license. So yeah, that's always available. We always love to help out in those in those situations. But if somebody is just wanting to do our program just to learn how to lash and that type of stuff, they can definitely take it. But the whole purpose of our curriculum is to help them get their lash license. So there can be some things that they might not value, like because they are not going to participate in the written and practical exam. In that case, I would say it gets a little bit sticky, whether that they value taking our program, even though they're not going to get the license, but they definitely can. TDLR does allow it. I think that's great. And the reason I asked Roxy is because as you're going through telling your story and talking about the school, I can see that, you know, there's just so much value there. And in a place like Canada, where there are no regulations, I find so many stylists are looking for quality education. So even though they live in a space that doesn't have licensing yet, 
I was curious if you could accommodate those students because then they can learn best practices of sanitation, how to lash, like all those different things. So I think it's really cool that Texas lets you enroll students in other areas too. Yeah, they don't care. And all you need is to have a high school diploma, a government issued ID and social security number. But even if you don't have a social security number or a government ID, we can still get you enrolled. So we do have a lot of people who are immigrants that take our program. Yeah. And I I just love that we're able to help so many people by being online. Yes, that is huge. And that had to be a huge challenge for you too, honestly, like trying to get all this information that we see the value of teaching it in person and trying to make sure it's still coming across well online. That's, that's just a challenge in of itself. And then also what you were talking about is just so many different ideas that you had and that you've implemented to really give back to the students and build that community. And all this to say that you're really embodying that true like entrepreneurial vibe. (laughs) You know, you have all these thoughts and you're actually getting them implemented. Now, with that said, I've heard that talking about grand ideas can give people this very heightened level of excitement in their mind. But then comes the work, right? It's like, oh, we're so excited about this idea. And then the work hits and we're like, no, I can't continue. Because that same level of excitement doesn't always happen when you're doing the tedious work of it. And at that point, that's when a lot of people kind of drop off. Their ideas kind of go left undone or they're just not able to follow through with them. So it's a really interesting thought. And I'm sharing this with you because I have a question, of course. What are your best tips on implementing the ideas you have and prioritizing all the different ideas that you have? Oh, it's so hard. (laughs) Definitely doing like a brain dump and an outline has helped me. I know I can get really anxious when I have a lot of things going on in my head, ideas that I want to do, things I want to implement. And the best way to do it is to do a brain dump. A brain dump is just simply getting everything that's in your head out on paper. And then from there, you can prioritize by importance, what needs to get done first. And you keep that brain dump until everything is checked off. That has really, really helped me to stay organized and implementing the things that I want to do. Well, these are really good tips. It can be hard. Yeah. I think that that's why I laughed when you said that because I was like, that's like the realest answer. (laughs) It is so hard when you have so many different ideas or different things you want to get done and then knowing which thing to prioritize can be difficult. And now within ourselves, that's one journey. But then there's the journey of implementing all of this and prioritizing with staff. And that is a whole different challenge that can be easier and more difficult all in the same. So what are some of the common challenges you have in management and trying to just get the whole staff together and keeping things moving? Because you mentioned earlier that everyone working at different paces sometimes and you invest back into them to try to get everyone kind of working in a good continuity. But are there challenges you face and how have you overcome them? Yes, I've faced a lot of challenges when it comes to staff, but I think the most important thing, any advice I would give to any business owner or salon owner that's looking to add staff is the training process is critical. How you bring someone on is pretty much how successful they're going to be. So if you feel like they're not doing their job or something like that, something there, there was a lapse in communication or expectations in that training and onboarding process that you might need to redo or look over. Another thing that I'm working with my business coach is doing one-on-ones 
with my staff, whether that be quarterly or once a month, just to check in, touch bases, see if there's any way that I can better serve them, give them feedback on their performance or give them uh, any critiques that I might have. So that's definitely important and a way that you can kind of cultivate that in the culture so that people feel like they can talk to you, like having that open door policy if they are struggling or going through anything. And man, when it comes to the staff and being the leader or being the boss, like it is really hard and it will actually show, it is like a direct reflection of all of your personal downfalls, basically. (laughs) So if you're bad at communicating in your personal relationships with friends and family, like hiring a staff person is going to be very challenging for you. It's going to be a test. It is going to challenge you in that same way. And so you just learn a lot about it, about yourself when you are the leader or, you know, the head person managing people. So just knowing that going in so that you can start working on yourself, having the emotional intelligence to just like, you know, create the safe space for your employees to be able to talk to you. Like you don't ever want it to be a situation where they're afraid to come to you and let you know something's going on because they think you're going to get mad. Like that is really not a safe environment for them, nor is it safe for your business because you want people who you're paying to be able to talk to you. I think that's super important. So yeah, those that's the advice that I would give. That's really good advice. I like that being an entrepreneur is a journey of (laughs) self-development. You know, we've talked about that a bit on the podcast with Cheryl. It's just, it is. You kind of develop throughout your life, no matter what you're doing. So even if you're a solo lash artist or you're working with someone or for someone, you're still self-developing. I think when you have to work with staff or team members, or you're managing them, or you're managing clients and taking clients, you learn a lot about yourself in all these different areas. It's really, really interesting and can be pretty hard. So if there's certain areas that you know you're just not good at, because it's like either not interesting to you or just not a strength, would you recommend to hire those areas first? Or how did you figure out who you needed to hire first to take your business to the next level? Yeah, I definitely hired the people first with the tasks that I did not want to do. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it could be hard training those people because those are tasks you don't want to do. True. But I promise, like, um, once you train them and you document everything that you're doing while you're training them, it becomes easier and easier over time. But yeah, I would definitely say the key to success is delegating the tasks that you don't want to do and being more being more available for the tasks that you do like to do. I like that. It's better when we spend our time with something that we enjoy doing or that we know we can provide a lot of value in, right? And what one of us brings a lot of value in, someone else might bring something completely opposite. And I think that's what excites me about working with a team. But what excites you about working with a team and all those different personalities? Um, what excites me the most about working with my team, knowing that we can get things done, like knowing that we can actually execute has really, really kept me going with the team that we have now. It's a little scary because we are hiring now. So now I'm like, oh, we have to find somebody that's going to fit in because we've all been working with each other for a year now. Like we have our jam. Now we're going to have to bring somebody else in and start from scratch. And 
you know, it can be hard, but like I said, the onboarding process is critical. And as long as you have those key things down, you should be successful with bringing someone in. But yeah, knowing that we can actually like whatever we want to do, whatever ideas that we have working as a team, we can get them done as long as everyone does their part and that that it can be exciting. And since you're already cultivating such a quality in your company culture, I think that's going to help. That's one thing that, you know, you're doing really well. Cheryl did really well was cultivating a good company culture where very quickly, if it's not the right fit for us or for that other person, I always consider, are we the right fit for them too? We can usually identify that pretty quick through the interview process. And then, of course, you have to figure out the work style and the flow. And that does take some time. So I think onboarding, that process being really detailed and not kind of like sliding over it is really important. Really good advice. It's like the stuff that we think like, oh, this doesn't immediately bring in revenue. So a lot of times we might want to like skip through it, but it's super important. And you made a really good point, Roxy, about when you bring someone on to do things that you don't like to do, sometimes it's hard to train them in it because you don't like to do it either. Can we circle back to that? Like, how did you actually train people to do things that like you don't like to do? Knowing that I won't have to do them after I train them, I feel like it's the best motivation, but it's just something that you have to push through. It doesn't last forever. Training can be anywhere from two to four weeks. And then you kind of just meet with them once a month to make sure that they don't have any questions and then they can go off where it's more of a performance evaluation quarterly. But the more that you have like a SOP, a standing operating procedure of how you want it to get done and train them on that and answer their questions and test and make sure double check work to make sure it's being done. Like, like I said, like when it comes to training people and having employees, it is a huge reflection on how you get things done. So if you're a laxy daisy and you're not double checking their work, it could take you forever to realize that it's never getting done how you want it. So being more proactive in the beginning stages and making sure that you're getting all the questions and expectations out the way at first will definitely help you get to that end goal faster. This is great. This is such good advice and something that I think we're all going to be able to implement in different areas of wherever we're at in life. It's funny how so much of this kind of translates. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, huh, I'm over here reflecting myself. Do you mind sharing some of the other difficulties you faced that were completely unexpected that you just did not think about going into this? The students not having such a great attitude. Ooh, this is juicy, <laughs> yeah. but I know what you mean from my own perspective as an educator and a salon owner. I want to hear about it. Tell us. Yeah, it's just, you know, not everybody's going to have a positive attitude. People are going through their life and it could be hard for them to stay on track, stay motivated, stay engaged. And, you know, it's something that you don't want to take personal, but you have to be aware that it is going to happen. That was just one of the things that I knew off the bat that I didn't want to be managing. That's why I stepped down from being an instructor because it's like I'm spending all this money on infrastructure, on getting the school up and running. And at the end of the day, you guys are still not happy because like your boyfriend pissing you off or your ex, maybe you're getting a divorce or something like that, like whatever is going on in your life. And now you want to nitpick at everything that we're doing. So that kind of threw me off guard. I was so excited with opening up the school and then it comes with a slew of just like people's personalities and you just not being able to please everyone. 
it's a lot to imagine because they are investing in themselves and their education. And I know that you share the same sentiment where we want feedback. We love it. But there's such a difference of feedback and just being ugly. You can almost tell immediately when someone is just out to be rude or just kind of like hurtful. And I don't I don't like that. I don't vibe with it. That's for sure. And then also like putting so much back into others who are not feeling happy can be really hard. Or let's say this too. I don't know. Have you had students like this? Let me paint a scenario where like you're investing so much back into them, but you can just tell their drive isn't there. Like it's not aligned for them. I would get that when I would hire staff at the studio. Like they were such good fits for so many reasons. But when it came down to it, it's like I kept investing, investing, investing in them to get more like quality education, expand their services, whatever it is. But then they would just be cutting their services in half or they wouldn't want to stay their whole like day. So it might even be a five hour day and they weren't there for those five hours or they were constantly rescheduling clients. And it's like, I found that for me, it was a big challenge and a learning that I have to realize that you can't like kind of make someone take the opportunity set in front of them. They have to take that first step and keep walking. (laughs) They have to keep moving with the opportunity. Right. Do you guys ever face that with the school? Like maybe people sign up and you're kind of wondering why? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. You know, what is the biggest thing that I learned is we used to do these really big elaborate graduations. And what I was learning after our second graduation is a lot of the people that were so excited and hyped about graduations were the same students that never actually went to go take their tests and get their license. And I just sat back and I just remember just being like, wow, like they're so excited to show up to graduation, but they haven't even shown up for themselves and finished what they started and got their actual license, which is what they need. You know, yeah, graduation is cool because we're celebrating you completing the program. But at the end of the day, it's really not that important. What's more important is you actually getting what you pay for with your tuition and actually getting the license. So it's one of those things that we had to like do away with. Well, we didn't have to, but I felt like instead of me spending all that effort and time and graduation for people who have not went to go get their license, I can use those resources and time in building an infrastructure for what to do and help our alumni better, like job placement or opportunities for them to work that type of stuff, whether that be with the school or they can collaborate side by side with us. Yeah, that was definitely like a clear example of where I I see that people are just so, oh, I want to be a lash artist because of the lifestyle and the money, but then not actually finishing what they're starting to get the license. And that definitely can be a downer. No, that's a really good point. And one of the top like management teachings that I hear a lot is that for an employee, or it is very frustrating for them to see another coworker who is not doing well, but being rewarded or not being held accountable. So I feel like it might be similar where it's like you're investing in these students who didn't complete everything 100%. And instead you stopped and you thought, hold on, let me invest in those who took it all the way, finished it, who are dedicated, who are really trying to move forward in their careers. Whereas everyone else like It's no shame to them. Maybe they've decided they want to go a different path. You know, whatever their journey is, that's fine. But I really do admire that approach of you pausing and going, you know what, we're going to invest back in the alumni who are ready to go. Everyone else, when it's time for their journey, they can join us. But that's that's a really big decision to make because from the outside perspective, 
Your graduations looked so cool. And I didn't realize that not everyone had finished the full thing. Like they finished your education. And I think that's great if you don't live in Texas, but if you're in Texas, you've got to continue and get that license. I'm like, why wouldn't you? You're so close. Right, right. That's the same way I feel. And now we, instead of a big graduation, we just send them the completion of the program once they're finished. And we just call it that because honestly, when I was looking around at what the competition was doing, not that I'm like obsessed with them or anything like that, but I noticed that a lot of the other schools, they don't have graduation, you know? So I'm like, well, why are we putting on this big thing that's costing us loads of money for people who have not wanted to go take their tests in other schools that are not that invested or don't have as many perks as we do. They don't have to offer it. So I was like, let's just scale it back. Let's just not do that and save ourselves the time and the energy and see if we can use those resources in a different way to still serve our students. I like that. I like the focus on serving the students. I think that's really, really nice. And I think it's important for us to remember who we're serving, like who is our audience when we're thinking of gaining clients for those lash artists listening. Think about the client, (laughs) just like Roxy is thinking about the student. If you start thinking too much about your own ego, you're going to hinder yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have to be cautious of that. It's very easy. And it's very easy. Also, you mentioned competition. Of course, I like to know what's going on with competition around my studio, within Lash Brands. It makes sense to look at your competition with schools because I'm sure you have students ask questions and, you know, it's just important. Was this even a challenge for you? For some reason, I feel like it isn't. But I want to hear from you. How did you find this balance of seeing different competition and just doing what is natural to you and keeping that focus on the students instead of trying to implement a lot of stuff that is just misaligned for your entire brand? Because I just, it wasn't that hard because nobody was actually doing what we're doing. Like That's true. When you say everybody else was doing the bare minimum, like it was literally that. Like till still to this day, there are schools that you can pay $1,500, $2,000 and you don't get no book. You don't get nothing. You don't have to go to class and you just, in three months, they'll send you your license. So if that's something that you want, go ahead. You don't want no guidance, no nurturing, no program no curriculum, you're essentially just paying for the license. Cool, but that's not what we do. Right. And I knew that there were people out there that would value that. And it all goes back to me like wanting to save the industry and like <laughs> be the best and show up in the best way, especially I feel like the pressure is 10 times more for me because I am a woman of color that people automatically think that it's going to be a janky school. We don't communicate clearly. And I'm just all about showing people like, no, like that's actually not what we're about. Right. We actually are operating on a very high level. Everything we do is excellent. And that is the standard of which we hold our students up to making sure like even when our students are corresponding with me or the instructors, they have to have a subject. Like I am going to respond like, what is the subject of this email? Because I just feel like you're emailing me with a question and for me to categorize it, it needs to have a subject. Like you need to get in the habit of sending a subject with your emails. And you know, that's just an example of the level of excellence that we hold withhold our students up to. I really appreciate the innovation that you have brought to Lash 
schooling. It's huge. Like you said, there are schools where you can just pay money and they're not really teaching you anything and then you get your license. And for me, this is a huge issue in the state of Texas and something that I hope the state board will focus on at some point. Now, I know they regulate a lot of different industries and they might be thinking flash industry isn't priority, but thankfully we have you and you're pushing forward and you're making these innovations and you're not wrong. You are the first one to really innovate this type of program. And not only are you the first, you're doing a kick-ass job, I'm just going to say. And I really appreciate that not only are you innovating in the way education is taught, but making it more exclusive and even teaching business etiquette. You mentioned the emails. That's huge. It's a level of excellence and professionalism that many of us don't get the chance to learn other ways. And I think it's cool that it's no longer, oh, the beauty school, you don't learn anything about business or life. Like, you're actually trying to take this person and like holistically train them to do a good job and be able to make a career for themselves. And I think that that should be applauded. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I think anyone listening, like you guys can DM me if you disagree, but I really am impressed by your school and it hasn't been open very long, right? No, we've been open since 2020, but even 2020, we opened in September, which the year was basically over. Yeah, it took us a minute to get this organized, but we are finally here. And, you know, moving forward, we just want to streamline and make everything easier and hold everybody accountable. So, yeah, hopefully we can raise the standard for all schools around Texas so that we can all get on one accord and start pushing out the best lash artists. That's what's most important. Yes. And, you know, pushing out good quality artists and, you know, making sure we're taking care of the student and that way they can leave and start working towards that successful career, not just trying to get them to only pass the state board test. Does that make sense? Like there's schools like that too, where it's just like, here's how you pass your test, which is like something obviously you want to learn, but then where's the rest of it? What do I do now? What's next? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Like it's scary. So I love that you support the students in that. Yes. Well, Roxy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. I do hope to have you back soon for a third episode. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Hopefully I'll be joining back with Tiana where we can talk a little bit more about the diversity in the industry. That's going to be a good episode. So needed. And we're always here to help like facilitate that and do anything we can to support you because it's needed. Thanks. And you've made huge leaps. And I know that it's still just scratching the surface, wouldn't you say? Yes, exactly. Now, Roxy, to leave us with one final thought, what is one thing that you wish every Lash artist listening would take with them? You're going to just suck at first. Honestly, it's going to be hard at first. And you have to just push through. You have to continue to show up for yourself. You have to continue to want more and push yourself to put in the processes to get there. Like you just can't want it. You have to actually sit down and think about Like, okay, a client, she's mad because she didn't know about the policy or my no refund policy or my last cancellation. Like, how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? Like, that is the mentality that you want to have when you go into being a service provider and just knowing that customer service is everything. Like, even if you suck and you're not that good at doing lashes, if you have amazing customer service, nine times out of 10, the person is still going to stick with you because at the end of the day, we all want to be treated like we're important. 
That's all for this episode of Untamed. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at untamedartistry.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, as your study buddy, we are always here for you. Don't hesitate to send us a DM at untamed.artistry. 